Hey there, it's Jason. Welcome to the Jason Wright Show, where the mission is very simple. It is to improve always in all ways. Look, I am on a mission to create the absolute best version of myself. And through the Jason Wright Show, I let you know everything I'm doing to make that happen. I interview incredible, remarkable, brilliant individuals from all different walks of life. And I also try to bring you tools, tactics, and protocols that will help you in your own personal mission to improve always in always. Now, let's get started. I want to be in your pocket. I know it sounds weird, but hear me out. Go to the Apple App Store or Google Play and download the Vitruvian Lab app. This is the only app you need to improve always in all ways. Check out the Vitruvian Library, full of scientific research on health, wellness, and other great stuff. Check out my library of courses, including Massively Transformative Habits. Take the free mindset assessment. Also, Shortly, I will include weekly guided training videos geared towards fitness to help you extend health span. I will be constantly updating the app with new features and courses geared towards helping you develop the absolute best version of yourself. Don't wait. Go right now. No, seriously, go and download the Vitruvian Lab app and start improving always in always. Now, enjoy this amazing episode of The Jason Wright Show. Case, welcome to the Jason Wright Show, brother. How you doing? Hello, I'm excellent. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's so good to have you on the show. So, let, just to let the listener know how this happened. So, I'm listening to my favorite podcast of all time, the James Altucher Show. The, as I said, as I've said often, the James Altucher Show has more utility value than most any other podcast I ever listen to. There's just actual practical advice and things I, cu- I come away with that I can actually execute on. And no doubt, man, Case, your episode reinforced why I listen to the James Altucher Show and now why I listen to your podcast, New Mindset, Who Dis? So, I hope that the entire Jason Wright Show audience checks out your podcast. And with that, man, welcome. I'm so glad to have you, dude. Well, thank you. That means a lot. And yeah, the the James Altucher thing was was kind of funny too because I, I 2014, I, I used to read his blog back then. I remember I dabbled in in online publishing and was was writing blogs back in 2014 and 2015 and i remember being obsessed with his just being so impressed with him as a person his writing everything so it was a really cool full circle moment for me too to be on his podcast almost 10 years later um and yeah he's such a, a smart practical uh guy that you know it was a great it was a great conversation about a topic that i think can often get very uh, ethereal and non-practical. So it was, it was cool. Just, you know, two guys chopping it up in very practical, uh, you know, modern pragmatic ways about a topic that I think can not be so. Well, let me tell you something. This is going to be a cool podcast because so much of what we're going to talk about or what I'd like to talk about is we're, we're living it in real time. So you just met, so you just talked about something, you mentioned something about how you subscribe to James's newsletter or his blog so many years ago, and then you end up on his show. 
And so it's kind of the same thing for me. I told you I was on a show as a result of my, um, you know, a, a mutual friend that I met through his show. And I end up getting to go on James's show. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. And, and so you have, and I, this is where I want to kick this thing off. So we hear this, this term kicked around a lot, this manifestation and law of attraction. And a lot of people don't even, they just completely dismiss it as woo woo. And, but more important, and I think a lot of the reason why is because a lot of people are, don't fully understand the proactive nature of manifesting those things you want in your life. And I'm going to read that. This is the most recent episode of your podcast you put out that for anyone out there listening, you got to listen to this. It's just so it's, it, it really, you just nailed so many things in this 20 minute podcast, dude. It was really so excellent. It says in this episode, I talk about one sentence that defines manifestation and law of attraction. I talk about giving the universe more to react to. God, that's so beautiful to and why it's the key to actually getting what you want in life. Now, here's why I think that's so good case. And I want you to take this anywhere you want to. But for me, it's like the only reason why I was on the James Altucher podcast, which in the podcast world, as you know, firsthand, that's a big deal. James is he he's he's an OG in the podcast world. You know, I mean, the yeah. dude has been at it for a long time, millions of downloads, just phenomenal. And the reason why I was on that podcast is because I put myself out into the universe by first of all, contacting someone that had been on his show, James Quandall, who's now one of my closest friends in the whole world. Had I just listened to his podcast and thought, oh, come on, I can see myself one day on the James Altucher show. I can, I know if I just believe it, I can achieve it. As a matter of fact, I've got a picture of him and his white man afro on my <laughs> vision board. I'm, it's going to happen. That's not enough. So take off on kind of your idea and what you talk about that in that episode and kind of define for this audience what how you see manifestation and law of attraction yeah i mean it's one of those topics that i love talking about and i would never dismiss anyone else's definition like if you want to have a definition that is 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 very spiritually based about creating room for possibility in your life right on i, I love that for you but in my life, I realized that manifestation is literally just a synonym for the word do. I mean, you're not manifesting, you're just doing it. I mean, that's as simple as it is, but there are layers to this, of course. You know, I did the, the podcast because I've just realized that, you know, the idea of the universe or whatever you believe in, you know, whatever spiritual energy surrounds us and gives us things and takes away things. You know, I try to live in the practical and I try to replace things that I can't see with things that I can't see. When I think about the universe, I think about people, I think about the industry I work in, I think about the internet, I think about the emails I send, I think about the cold calls I make, I think whatever it is. That is what is either giving or taking away. And the only way to receive is to give those things something to react to. So when I think about manifestation, all it is, is filling the cup of the universe with things for it to react to. That is manifesting. And well, I suppose that a lot of things taught me that, of course, like I worked in sales for a long time too. And just because you're a good salesperson, you have positive intentions and people might like you. The only way to prove that is to make calls, take clients on meetings, so on and so forth. So you have to, you have to prove it. Like, 
intention only gets you so far. And when I say there's layers, I mean it because I think, you know, in order to get what you want in life, become the person you want, get the partner you want, you have to have clarity. You have to have intention. Like that is step one of my influence. You got to sit down and get really clear on who you are, what you want. You got to ask yourself tough, uncomfortable questions. That's great. But I see a lot of people do that. And it's amazing to see that. But then they think that, okay, I've got clarity. So now I've begun manifesting, but manifesting only begins when you then turn that clarity into action. So I'm in love with the topic of mindfulness, which is literally just self-awareness, but mindfulness without action is, I don't want to say useless, but it's like, just, it, it doesn't really get you anything. Like be uncomfortable, sit in uncomfortable questions, journal, go to therapy, do all these things, but then you have to act on it. And that is what kickstarts everything that we're talking about here. Could not agree more. And just for those people listening out there. So as someone who, you know, in my, my personal faith, you know, I, I'm a Christian and the Bible even says exactly what you're saying. It says faith without works is dead. Now, a lot of people will interpret that as, well, you got to work your way into heaven. No, it's just like saying, oh, I believe, I believe, I believe. No, you have to actually prove your belief prove by your actions. I once had this. Um, so I used to own real estate brokerages and I had this one realtor i use him as this example of what we're talking about here case he he was the most overeducated, underproducing realtor i ever managed he, he had all the initials after his name and all this but he sat in his office all day checking out yahoo weather if you wanted to know when a thunderstorm was rolling into east texas this dude was your guy if you wanted to buy or sell a house not so much and it's like you you've got all of this knowledge and you've got all these things but you can't just sit and wait for it to happen and i would try to explain that to him and bless his heart he's become like probably the most overused example of my entire uh teaching career but that's that's the case and so i think what you're saying is so in, incredibly uh spot on here's another thing i want you to talk about so okay let's say that you have this thing that you you just you first of all wait a minute let me take this another direction because you mentioned something that i think is really important that you've i gotta believe that you've looked into some of the the work of carl jung i mean you know because you you talk about it you have to understand yourself you have to know who you are let's just start there because i think that's very practical for a lot of people is how have you someone who and i'll give your full bio in the the show notes and the intro to this podcast but i mean dude i mean you obviously got a big brain up there you know you're you went to notre dame you've done some really cool things at a very young age so how did you discover this is who i am therefore this is what i want so i'm going to match those things up and then i'm going to start putting the things out there into the universe that will hopefully yield positive reactions that lead to me getting what i want how did that go for you yeah well i think in line with everything it it went for me it came to me through trial and error like i i just turned 35 a week ago uh and i you know every evolution of me has been the catalyst has been doing something different doing something new doing something more whatever it may be all through action, 100% through action. I mean, I, I've always been one to like pursue what interest interests me and interested me. That's all. Like, I've I've always been kind of incapable. If something interests me, I have to try it. I have to pursue it in some sense, and that's um, 
also a reflection of my impatience. I suppose I'm very impatient, but it's also a good quality and that it led me, I majored in Chinese in college because I was good at it and it interested me. Um, I, you know, I were, went into sales because I was very introverted and timid, but I saw these people making a lot of money and I was like, oh, like I want to make money, but I'm not extroverted. Let's challenge myself to try to be that person. Evolution number two, uh, I worked in sales for eight years and then eventually it was like, I'm really, you know, mindfulness is speaking to me. I need to quit my job, quit my job, evolution four, like so on and so forth. Like just a willingness to, to do different things, I think has been um, really paramount to that. But I think that the biggest thing has been like the words that I use to describe myself and the goals that I set for myself with those words. Like I used, if you were to ask me previously, and I think if you were to ask most people, like, what do you, what do you, what do you want? What do you want in life? I think a lot of people would give good answers, but not specific answers. They would say, I just want to be happy. Or um, I want to be successful. Like I'm in my grind era. I want to be successful, right? Happy, successful, confident adjectives. I used to be that way too. I, I realized a lot of issues with adjectives as a defining, uh, you know, description of who you are for a couple of reasons. One, adjectives come and go. They're taken away from you. A lot of times you don't have control over whether you're happy or not. Absolutely. Um, and it's the same with success. Success comes and goes. It's earned. It takes time. And in the moments where we're not happy or not successful, we tend to do the very human thing where we blame ourselves. We beat ourselves up. We judge ourselves. We start saying, well, I haven't been happy in a long time. I guess I'm not a happy person. Or I haven't you know, gotten to this level of success. I guess I'm a failure. Like We do this thing that on the surface sounds stupid, but it's just what we do. And I realized that a while ago, and really what I've gravitated toward in line with everything we're talking about is not describing myself with adjectives, but with verbs. I borrow a lot from habit formation communities, you know, and the idea of, you know, one of my favorite journal exercises is one where you say, I'm the kind of person who, and then you describe yourself with verb statements that will make you that adjective, happy, successful, confident, whatever. And through that lens, you know, I'm the kind of person, if I sit down and say, I want to be uh, successful, for instance, instead of saying that and saying, I want to be successful, adjective, successful, I'm a successful person. I say, no, I'm the kind of person who is first into the office, makes, you know, is willing to go first, is willing to have the tough conversations, is willing to try things new, verbs, 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 or verbs. And I think that has been so paramount to me because for one, it holds me accountable, which I think is important. It gives me a roadmap if I don't have one yet. And also it fills me with confidence so that in the moments where I haven't reached my th- my goal yet, I can say, well, I'm the kind of person who does these things and I'm doing those things. So I just need to continue on the course and, and do these things even more or different evolutions of it. So I think, again, seeing myself and my identity through what I do rather than my intention has been <laughs> really important. Um, and, you know, hope that answers your question. No, I think it's excellent. And you know, you you harken back to kind of the teachings of I actually I I and I tell people in, in this course that I created that I am taking verbatim Jim Rohn's work uh goal setting workshop in which he touches on a lot of what you're saying. And so, I mean, my gosh, if you're following the path and using the wisdom or it, 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 of some, of one of the greatest of all time, this is exactly what he said, which is that we have to start creating an identity. And I love your idea of using verbs versus adjectives. I think you're right. A lot of people do that. They'll say, I am a winner. I am whatever. But one of the things that Jim Rohn does in the end of his goal setting workshop is he asks the audience this question and he has you define it kind of like what you've just d- done is he says, now what type of a person would it take to do these things you have to match up and i think that's been it sounds to me like that's one of the things that 
just, you know, borrowing from the habit formation of, you know, BJ Fogg, you know, which is, you know, going to James Clear and Kaizen and all that. It's like these identity-based habits, how we, um, how we view ourselves and, and, and also then, then you start to identify, I did this, um, I did this course one time, totally ripped it off because it was one of the greatest presentations I ever saw. This dude, he gets up to talk in like a, a big conference and he, and he puts a cigarette in his mouth and he's about to light it. You know, he's for this like corporate audience and everybody's kind of like, you know, what's this guy doing? You know I mean? This isn't, this isn't Earl Nightingale circa 1955 where maybe Earl would fire up a nail, but he's like, no, wait a minute. And, and so I use that. I'm like, okay, I started the course. I didn't say anything. I'm just acting like I'm lighting this cigarette and I'm like, okay, no, wait a minute. You're hopefully you're you're asking yourself what the heck is going on right now? Why is my instructor lighting up a ciggy before he teaches this course? It's like <laughs> that's because it's so that's not my identity. So it wouldn't happen. Yeah. It was conflicting to the people watching. It's conflicting to me. Now let's talk about because I think this goes into the whole manifestation thing because it's like there's this idea of what we want in the life we want to lead and then what you've discussed which is these verbs but then there comes the time of it's not good enough you, you correct me if i'm wrong it's not good enough to say one time i'm the type of person that x what has been your 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 protocol for success to constantly remind yourself and reinforce those verbs that describe who case kenny is yeah, well, I'd say, again, harping on that even more, it's like, I've evolved my goal for myself very, very specifically. Again, it's not to be happy. It's not to be successful. It's none of those things. It's to be proud of myself. And I know that sounds cheesy, but I think everything good in your life comes when you're proud of yourself and not like the, you know, Ryan Holiday ego, uh, that kind of, you know, pride is the downfall type. Pride. I'm talking about being proud of yourself because you do the things you said you're going to do. You do the things you, you know you need to do. And obviously that comes from having clarity on what they are or being open to ones that you need to add to the list. But like, I see everything through the lens of being proud of myself and that, you know, if I'm proud of myself, that means I'm doing the things I need to do. I'm doing the things that I don't want to do and good things will come from it. I trust that process. Um, that, and I think that simplifies a lot of things in life. Like truly, I think we, we complicate a lot of things for ourselves, but saying, okay, I just need to be proud of myself, whether that's seeing dishes in the sink and doing them because that makes me proud of myself or sitting down and writing the first chapter of a book, even though it's really tough and you don't know what you're writing, but you got to get it down. You got to be proud of yourself in that moment. Things like that, I think has been really, really powerful. powerful. And then, and then there's also like, there is a spiritual element to it. I, I will say it's like the, the words we use, the stories we tell ourselves. If we are telling ourselves a story, like I do a lot of dating content. Um, I'll just use it as the example, but I see a lot of people who are just like really beat up by dating. I mean, it's really so. It's, it's tough to date in 2023. And they'll, they'll, they start spinning these narratives that they're repeating or that they came up with on their own. That's like, oh, you know, all men are pigs, all women are crazy, no one is honest. Millennials have ruined dating, dating apps have cheapened romance, the whole thing. That's the narrative that they're telling themselves. And then they, they shoot the shit over lunch with their friends. And that's what they're saying. Oh, he's probably has a wife or he's cheating or she's probably crazy and she's just hiding it, right? We're, we're repeating these narratives, the hyperbole ones here. That's the narrative they have in their head. But then outside of their head, they have a reality that they want to live, right? They still maintain that they want a partner who loves them unconditionally, who is kind, honest, open, who doesn't have a family. <laughs> that's what they say that they want. But it, life just doesn't work like that. You can't tell yourself one thing and then expect to be introduced to a reality that is the literal direct opposite of that. 
that is a spiritual spiritual element to this. And I, I conjure that up practically as think of a yellow car, see a yellow car, drive a yellow car, own a yellow car, right? If if those stories aren't at least getting closer, then you're you're not for certain certainly not manifesting and you're certainly not doing. So I think everything of mindfulness, manifestation, the stories we tell ourselves, it's about making them closer together. What you what you say in your head about describing reality and the reality you say you want to live so that you're incentivized to take action. That is my whole thing. And that is how I've really just helped myself grow through the lens of pride, through the lens of verbs, and through the lens of stories, the story I tell myself and the story I say I want to live so that I'm incentivized to take action toward actually achieving it. And I think that there's so much wisdom in what you said there. And I love the idea because this is one of the things like to be proud of yourself. Because here's the thing. I think there's a lot of people out there, you know, rolling through life in the witness protection program and they know it. They know they're not proud of themselves. And so therefore, what does that lead to? That means that they are living in shame because this mask that you know they, they know that shadow going back to Carl Jung, they got that shadow that they're suppressing that is full of yuck and ugly and they're shameful of it but they're good at playing you know they're good at rolling out in the witness protection program and uh and, and kind of living life as opposed to being their authentic self you mentioned something earlier you're big on mindfulness which i am as well and it's been very hard for me because i don't have a monkey brain i have a zoo full of monkeys that are always fighting for <laughs> fighting to be at the top of the monkey pyramid um and so, and, and just sitting alone and just, just kind of wrestling with the things that bother you, you mentioned earlier, you wanted to, you weren't a natural extrovert or, and you wanted to kind of overcome it. So you, you took action. That was something that you saw in your shadow self, maybe that you wanted like, okay, this is something I want to leverage and deal with how it gives some people not only the, the benefit, I want them to understand the benefit of, of just sitting in silence with yourself. Again, it's, it may, folks, it may sound kind of woo, but I'm telling you, try it and you'll be like, oh my God, I can't do this. And within 30 seconds, you're wanting to grab a phone, you want to go call somebody, yeah, you want to yeah. just escape from yourself. It's so weird. But explain kind of practically some, some starting points to get with yourself. And then, then the next is, how did you get to the point where you could stay there long enough to start doing the work? being honest with yourself and making the changes that you need to make, or maybe, maybe whether that's accentuating a positive that you found or kind of going, oh God, I don't like this part of case. I got to do something about that and make it better. What, what are some ways people can start to actually execute on that case? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, as simple, nothing burger as a topic as it is, like doing nothing and stillness is like an integral part of what you just described as as throwaway as an answer that is like there's been a lot of science around like what happens when you do nothing in your brain and your neurons and how they're forming associations associations is how you make sense of the world associations is how you challenge what you know and all of a sudden you're like, well that doesn't make sense let me challenge that so it, it's we're so averse to it in this day and age to literally sit and do nothing you could look around and stuff but like no anything else no agenda no phone no writing, nothing. You just literally sit and do nothing for one. I'm actually releasing a project soon around doing nothing because I'm that passionate about it, just both from a in, inner life and outer life and biology perspective. Um, so I think that's really big. I think in those moments where you're allowing your literal brain to make those associations and challenge yourself and then in your inner life as well, it's like, 
you know, I used to laugh at statements like we're all victims of victims. Like that seems a little heavy and like, what do you, like, who cares? Like who you were then or who you were when you were a kid or an adolescent, like what, what does it matter? That was 20 years ago. That was 30 years ago. But you know, I, I think we really do need to try to get to zero of where certain things came from in our lives. Like a big thing again, back to dating is like, sometimes like we assume that we're unlovable because someone told us that we're unlovable or we accept less because someone offered us less and we thought that's what we deserved and then we've just rode that pony all the way in life because that's what we were told or that's what we were offered and we assume that that was correct and you could bring that all away into therapy and talk to your therapist about where you came up with certain associations during your upbringing there's a, a ton of great psychologists who talk about you know um you know your reaction to drama how you've been trained to exist in chaos and drama in your life where the all these things came from not my thing you need to talk to the therapist about that but the the idea of going as far back as possible i, I think is everything because it allows us to challenge that we've been riding it for so long without challenging it's no wonder that we've assumed oh this is what i deserve because that's what i've been offered but just because you've been offered it doesn't mean it's what you deserve or just because you've been told that's what you are capable of doesn't mean that's what you're capable of or people who have told you to be realistic doesn't mean you should be realistic things like that so i think the whole thing with sitting in stillness the whole thing with sitting with yourself is is challenging yourself like the whole thing with mindfulness is either challenging what you know like what you've been assuming or opening your mind to something new i mean that is the basis of of mindfulness and the only way to do that is to sit and you know you could sit and do nothing you could sit in journal you could sit in, in therapy whatever it may be but you're, you're not you're not going to resolve those things um by rushing and by impatience so uh, i would say yeah i would say you know the your intention is really important and i think your intention should be to challenge yourself even if it gets uncomfortable i think a, a big reason why we don't do that is because we don't potentially want to hear the answer which could be that we've been wrong that we've been living a truth that isn't true and maybe now we regret that but i think we need to set ourselves free in that sense and you know that comes from that that kind of mentality of challenging yourself one of the um kind of a physical example of this that i heard i wish so badly i could remember where i first heard this either on a podcast or i was listening to a book i don't remember what it was but um someone made the suggestion that every one of us at some point in time should go build a birdhouse because it's physical it's done it's by yourself and you know whether that birdhouse sucks or not you're going to know you're not gonna it's not like being and, and they they use this analogy they said it's not like you're sitting in a class and you've just given the answer that the professor wanted to hear and they tell you yes perfect nailed it and in reality it's no it might not be right it's just what they wanted to hear with the birdhouse and there's no mom and dad just there oh god that's a beautiful birdhouse you built there case oh my gosh no you will know you will honestly look at it and go you know what my birdhouse is a piece of crap no bird would ever set up shop in this camp it sucks you know and so i think that that's one of the things that a lot of people there there's and i think that i know i've been this way and you know you're a podcaster as well tell me if i'm wrong one of the hardest parts of doing a podcast is putting those episodes out that you know in your heart of hearts the audio is going to suck there's going to be you're not going to quite like it and so most people start piling up all these things as reasons why they shouldn't even build that birdhouse to they go yeah i'm out not going to do it and when you what i found is if you just go forward and you realize that first of all there's not that many people watching and wanting you to fail as you think and it doesn't matter anyway that's not why you're doing it then you just get better and better and better and just the the journey the process becomes kind of the reward right 
yeah, I mean, I can tell you for a fact that anytime I've had that inclination, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't release this. Like it didn't like something about it feels off or it feels, you know, I feel like it wasn't my best or something like that. Every time I've ever had that inclination and I published it, I, it's always become my, like my best podcast. So, uh, I think <laughs> a lot of the time, uh, we're unfairly critical of ourselves. And also I think the, the imperfect things that we create need, need to be released. I mean, I think th those are the ones that need to see the light of day. So I, I think there's a lot there with unfair, um, self-judgment. Um, but also, I mean, I think we're, we're always overly critical of ourselves. Like, um, there, there's this thing called the beautiful mess effect, um, which is really interesting where it's basically says that, you know, we applaud vulnerability in other people. We say, of course, we want vulnerable friends. We want friends who aren't afraid to be freaking weird, who aren't afraid to own it, who aren't afraid to be sensitive and say, I love you. Like we love that in other people and we'll openly say that. But the same exact behaviors in ourselves, we fear that other people will judge us for it. We think, oh, they'll think I'm, I'm sappy or I'm weird, so on and so forth. And the, the beautiful mess effect was this, this study that psychologists did in, in early 2000 to basically prove this hypocrisy in ourselves that when you take the same behavior in other people, we give it a thumbs up. But when we think about the same behavior in ourselves, we give it a thumbs down. And they, they did all these thought experiments and social experiments to kind of prove that in action. They had people go through these different exercises of singing a song in front of other people that they've never sung and the fear of that, um, admitting you're wrong, complimenting a stranger, all these different act activities that required vulnerability. And every time we said, oh man, if someone did that, I would say that's so brave. That's awesome that they're willing to do that or say that. But then when it was their turn, they said, oh man, people are going to eat me alive for this. They're going to hate it. They're going to think I'm a, <laughs> this, that, and the other. And it was just this, this weird hypocrisy. And I think it just speaks to the the idea that we we've trained ourselves in certain ways that aren't our fault society upbringing whatever it is but we we've ended up this way and we need to find a way to break free we need to find a way to address our own hypocrisy not you know evil hypocrisy but just hypocrisy and find a way to to treat ourselves in the same way that we treat others we forgive other people way more easily than we forgive ourselves. We speak to others way more kindly than we speak to ourselves. We are jerks to ourselves in our heads. We need to find a way to not necessarily emulate the way that we treat other people, but just be fair to ourselves in the way that we judge other people and the way that we see the world around us. Um, so I, I like that a lot. Um, you know, the idea of the beautiful mess effect and just vulnerability as a topic, I think is so important. I think when we see it through the lens of, you know, uh, equity and equality, as far as how we see it, I think that could really give us a moment of reinvention. I think you're absolutely spot on. You remind me of, and this goes back to what you were saying about doing things that you're proud of, being proud of who you are and being willing to take these these many risks and challenges to make yourself vulnerable because then you give yourself a benchmark for like for your for for better self-talk i was listening to michael gervais talk about this one time where it's kind of, it kind of goes to what you were saying about um, law of attraction and manifestation it's one thing to like for me it's one thing to say you know what you've got this you jason you're a badass you know you can crush this and just leave it at that okay what michael gervais said that he coaches his you know world-class athletes to do he said if you're going to say that you need to match that up with proof that you've done it you know for example if someone's mm -hmm. if someone is faced with a challenge and their self-talk is this sucks this is hard but i know i've got this and and you know three years prior to they survived cancer then they can go 
I know I can do this. I've got this. I'm a badass because I stared cancer down in the face and I made it through that. So whatever this is, I can get through that. And so being able to match things up and giving yourself those opportunities to build courage, to build and, and, and God, you are so right. And I've been like this for you. This is why the the topic of mindset, self-talk and, 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 and creating those artifacts that you can draw on to, to, to talk to yourself in a more positive way is something that I have become almost obsessed with because for the longest, man, I beat the crap out of myself. And I thought I was being a good person. Like, well, you're just self-critical. You're an overachiever. Yeah, but you're beating yourself down so much that uh, I think that's, I love this idea that you brought to my, just, I mean, seriously, in this conversation, that, that idea of just be, doing things to be proud of yourself and then creating those scenarios, creating situations that are kind of low stakes, deals where you go, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal to sing karaoke. You know, I mean, to me, that can be very, yeah. a lot of utility value. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's spot on. It's that willingness. I mean, I'll tell you, for example, like, you know, uh, I tend to think of things through the lens of, you know, athletics or sales, right? You know, the very alpha masculine thing of getting reps, like we sure. have to get reps, we have to get reps. And I'm not a big sports guy anymore. Um, but I, I still approach everything through that lens. Like, for example, I say yes to every single interview that anyone ever asked me. And I never ask about what the show listenership is or, you know, I'll do a quick glance to make sure I'm not on a weird podcast. But I say yes to everything because I, I realize how much so that hour aids in the long term process of, of what I'm trying to accomplish. Like, like I can borrow from the Gary Vee model of one is better than zero, fine. But also just the process. Like, I've done hundreds of interviews. Four years ago, I couldn't talk straight for two minutes about a topic. Now I could talk for an hour straight because I've gotten so much better at it because I'm willing to put myself in these situations that maybe have no immediate ROI. So I think we need, it's like, it's exactly what you said. We need to be able to look back to connect the dots and say, why am I doubting myself? I've done this, that, and the other. That's proof points of what I'm capable of. But then we also need to look forward and think about the long-term residual effect of that from the past to the present and what we're trying to build. That builds pride. Even if it, even if you don't get something immediately from whatever effort you're putting in, I think we do need to think longer term um, because I think we're doing ourselves a disservice when we don't give ourselves credit for that thing. That's why, like, I think mindfulness. I think getting what you want is a balance. It's a balance of a little bit of tough talk. I'm a tough talk guy, but it's a balance also of giving yourself credit. And the sweet spot of that, I think, is what we're describing here, where you have proof behind your why. You're not delusional in your ability to be a winner, right? You have proof of why you're capable of being a winner because you're doing this, that, and the other. You you motivate yourself through the lens of being proud of yourself. You you believe in reciprocity. What you put out is possibly what you should receive in return. And then you let the rest take care of itself. There's no rushing. There's no impatience. There's not a whole lot of comparison either. That's the sweet spot. It's the balance between urgency and patience, the balance between tough talk, motivation, and giving yourself credit. I think that absolutely. And you know, one of the things you mentioned there too, that I think that we fall into a lot, especially in, here in, in the West, we, we tend to have this mindset that unless i'm going unless i'm doing this to one day become a movie star mm-hmm. unless i'm doing this to one day be a, a world-class james altucher uh joe rogan podcaster unless i'm painting this painting to become an artist and make money at it it's not worthwhile i'm not going to yeah. do it and that is the biggest 
load of crap ever. And I've learned that. I mean, uh, and, and especially like I'm older than you, when you become my age and you've had some business success, and you could be doing all these other things and you choose to go down this path that people go like, wait, what are you trying to do? They almost can't understand why would you ever do something that you're not guaranteed or, or the, or the likelihood of, of real financial reward or anything is so, is so unlikely. And when you say, well, I'm doing it because look, I get to sit here and and hang out for it for a period of time with Case Kenny, who's got great advice, great knowledge. I create this space for something that no, this I'm not getting paid to do this right now. But man, that doesn't mean I'm not benefiting and I'm not honing my skills as a human being, right? I mean, that's yeah, yeah. That make yeah, that's so accurate. It makes me kind of sad a lot to see people only do things for some perceived outcome. Hmm? I mean, the the it's a super cliche, but like, you've got to enjoy the process. And Absolutely. that's, I used to kind of laugh at that kind of thing, but if you don't enjoy the process, first of all, you won't be incentivized to ever continue to maybe get to an outcome. But if your only incentive in the beginning to do something is an outcome is a title is some kind of influence or is some kind of financial reward. I, th- I think not only do I think that's like spiritually lame and draining, but I think it's just impractical. Like you're, you're just not going to get the reps in because you're not motivated. Like for me, the podcast, like, I always say, of course, the podcast is for other people. That is the gift and privilege of being able to do this for a living. But it's for me. It is 100% for me. It is my therapy. It is my form of challenging myself. That is my incentive. And that is why I'm almost at episode 500 because I'm incentivized to do it because I genuinely enjoy it and I genuinely get immense value from it. If my incentive to sit down and start a podcast was I want to be a podcaster, I want to be Alex Cooper, Joe Rogan, there's no way I would have gotten to this point. And I don't think the content would have been as good, so on and so forth. So I, we have to find a way to incentivize ourselves to have a deeper why. You can borrow from all the uh, Simon Sinek stuff and, and you know, what is your why and everything, the power of why. But yeah, I think you know, in this day and age, I think just social, we've social media-fied everything so that it has to be an entrepreneurial endeavor, um, which it can. It's amazing to see something turn from from hobby or passion into something you do for a living. But I think from the beginning, we need to approach it from a practical place of inner incentive. Absolutely. So what do you think? Are you enjoying this episode? I hope so. Oh, one more question. Did you download the Vitruvian Lab app? Why not? This makes me like your personal peak performance coach. I go where you go. So go to the Apple App Store or Google Play and download it now. I get to go everywhere you go and together we will improve always in always. Now, keep enjoying this unbelievable episode of The Jason Wright Show. I want to get completely off track here just for personal reasons. Are you, you're in New York, right? I'm in Miami, actually. Oh, you're in Miami. My, my okay. paleness. I am in Miami. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I saw East coast and for some reason, I guess it just said on there. So, Cause I've got a, my daughter, my youngest daughter is about to graduate from CU Boulder and she's moving out to oh. New York. She's going to, she's going to, yeah, she's going to brave <laughs> New York for her first couple of years. That's what she wanted to do. And I'm like, so I was going to, I've actually got a buddy of mine though. that just, uh, he's uh, finishing up law school in Miami and he freaking loves it out there. That's amazing. Well, I'm from Chicago. I spent the last 12 years in Chicago, but okay. my girlfriend and I just moved down here. We're spending about a year and a half, two years down here, and then maybe I'll probably go back to Chicago. So, all right. So I mentioned my youngest daughter, you mentioned your girlfriend. 
I know that you t- touched on this earlier and it's something that I have told. Okay, so I've got a 23 and a 22 year old daughter and I told both of them that my, my I think one of my best pieces of advice I gave to them and I want you to take this and run with it because I know you agree with it just because of content you put out <laughs> is two words, don't settle. I, I mean, you, you touched on it earlier, but I want you to kind of flush that out a little bit and the mindset that you have to have to get into this frame of mind as it relates to the dating game, because man, and you're right, God, I'm so glad that I'm married. I'm not dating in this, yeah. this day and age. <laughs> I, I'm just, you know, but this whole idea of don't settle, what does that mean to you? Well, I, I think the, the, our tendency to settle comes from one thing and one thing only, and that's rushing. It's pressure. Like, I think if we gave ourselves more time and we're a bit kinder to ourselves, we would never settle. The only reason you settle, which is to accept less than what you deserve or less than what is potentially available to you because you deserve it, is because we're rushing. We want the title. We want the validation. We don't want to start over. We're feeling pressure to have that thing. Plain and simple. Practically, that's, of course, why we settle. And there's a lot of intricacies there of, of why we allow pressure to motivate our actions, but that that is settling. It's because we're rushing to an outcome or we're averse to starting over. I love the topic of starting over. I think we settle because we don't want to start over because we think starting over means we're getting further away from what we deserve. But I've totally reframed starting over into starting over means you're getting closer to what you deserve, not further away from it. Because when you're at the point where you're willing to start over, that means that you have found clarity, you have been willing to align clarity with action and you're saying i'm willing to to take that thing that i invested time and energy into and i'm willing to move past it because i so believe that it is you know not aligned or not compatible or whatever it is inherently that means you're getting closer to what you deserve not f- further away from it because you're moving further away from the thing that you don't deserve but in our brains we think of starting over as this thing where we messed up so bad that we need to go back to zero and of course there's all kinds of self-help advice and quotes that say you're never starting from zero you're always starting from experience and we could talk on and on about lessons learned and experience and standards and boundaries but i think again mindfulness is about incentivizing action and if you can mindfully align what starting over means and it means you're moving closer not further that incentivizes action and action means you're willing to try something new you're willing to wait you're not willing to rush and i think that is the key to not settling and i i you know i wrote a book uh, a couple years ago called single is your superpower basically encouraging people to not rush into a relationship because again this there's this weird stigma that does not belong anywhere that being single uh for too long or being single as not a choice means there's something wrong with you you're not lovable you're you're broken or you know these these outlandish right. uh, ways that we describe ourselves and i wrote that book single superpower to encourage people just to slow down and one of the random anecdotes that i included as a proof point for that was i talked to a lot of older people 60, 70 plus, I just interviewed a woman who's 102. And I always like to ask them the question, the generic question of what do you regret in your life? And I've heard millions and millions of answers. Within the context of what do you regret relationship-wise, love-wise, dating-wise, I've heard millions of answers. No millions. I've heard many, many answers. I've never heard an older generation person say, I regret being single. Never. I've heard the opposite. I regret rushing in a relationship, having kids too soon, staying in a relationship that was beneath me, not leaving a relationship that I should have. I've heard every answer of that. I've never heard someone say, I regret being single. So people could take that for what it's worth. But as an anecdote, I think it really supports the idea that we're rushing practically because maybe we're lonely 
or impractically because we've defined our worth through the, the, the definition of in a relationship or single. And I think either way you slice or dice it, I think we need to just stop rushing, stop pressuring ourselves, stop buying in the pressure, um, you know, and give ourselves that freedom. Man, I think that's such valuable, valuable advice. And I, hopefully you know, my, my daughters don't always listen to their, to their dad's <laughs> podcast, but I think I'm going to have to you know, at least clip that out and say, all right, here, yeah, listen, listen to what Case has to say about this, because I do think you're right. I think the longer you go is you find those, those non-negotiables that you, you just, if you, and again, it goes back to being honest with yourself. It goes back to going, you know, cause we will try to talk ourselves into some really we will try to talk away any of that the self-fulfilling prophecy man is such a dangerous and powerful force in most people's lives um as i think especially when it comes to relationships i know with with my wife i created purposely because i did not want to get married i, I did not want to get married uh, i just didn't see the point in it i'd been through a terrible relationship and so almost as a self-protection mechanism i created this ridiculous non-negotiables list and i actually lived out the advice that i tell my daughter I said you know i'm not going to settle not going to happen mm. And whenever I had that mindset, and of course I wasn't looking, I wasn't going to get married. So it's like, and I don't date. I've never really dated. That's never been my thing. When I did that, it, lo and behold, uh, my wife comes along and she meets in spades this entire this. The, I mean, this list that I had, and it's and and folks, I can tell you, when you marry someone that has all these incredible qualities, and obviously that you're not going to know everything. They're going you're going to learn as you get married, and that's that's part of the beauty of growing together. But I just, this whole idea of just settling to get it done and being with somebody and hoping that things will change. And I think it's sad that we, we, we will tell everybody, I mean, dude, how many times do you hear people say, oh, you deserve so much better. Or you don't deserve this. We'll go, go back to what you said earlier. We will give that advice to our friends, to other people, but we will rarely take it for ourselves. We have such a lower standard for ourselves than we do for even our friends it's really quite a shame. Yeah. Yeah. I, I talk a lot about that too. It's like, we're, we're very capable of giving good advice, but we can't take oh. it because, you know, when we give advice, we're observing instead of feeling, but in our own lives, we're, we're uh, mostly feeling we're not being very objective. The way you just also, just another point on the idea of settling, like I I'm in, in the works of writing another book because this word or this phrase that I think gives us such a misunderstanding of when people say settle down, it literally has the word settle in it. And I think it gives us a really bad misunderstanding of the purpose of a relationship. Like, I don't think a relationship or love has anything to do with settling down. I think the purpose of a relationship is to get more out of life. It's not something you do once you've had your fun. It's not something to do once you've decided that, okay, you've had enough life. A relationship should enhance that and introduce even more into your life. And it's it's not something that says, okay, you know, your your life is two components. It's your young years and then your commitment years. Like I think when we think about relationships in that way and think about settling down into the latter, it just totally gives us the wrong idea of what to expect, the lens through which to judge the health of a relationship. I think the right relationship should make you independent, make you more independent because you have that that connection and the compatibility. And I think for men in particular, that's a big problem. Men 
you know, as a man, if you're thinking, oh yeah, a relationship is something you do when you settle down. Well, that immediately, that's all kinds of red bulbs going off in my head. That's well, that, that means it's going to threaten my independence. That means that my, my fun exploration, curiosity driven hustle era is over. And now I no longer can be that person. And I don't think the right relationship is that at all. I think it enhances all of those things. Absolutely. And then I, I think for, for women as well, like the idea of settling down, rushing into settling down, because that's what's expected of you. I think leads to everything that we just discussed. So I think a common thing that we're talking about here is the words we use, I think are very, very important because we don't challenge them and they become our reality and they become what we expect. And then uh, you know our actions align with that. We put up with things that maybe aren't true. So I think we really need to reevaluate the words that we use, the stories that we tell ourselves, the assumptions that we've made about a career or love or whatever topic is at hand. Dude, that that's beautiful. I love that because you're right. I mean, like a bunch of kids are at a, uh, I don't know, at a carnival or something. I hate carnivals, but man, let's just say that we got kids at a carnival and they're just going nuts. You know, they're hopped up on cotton candy. They're nasty. They're sweaty. They kind of stink. And what does mom and dad do? Hey, settle down, settle down. But they're like, they're, they're laughing. They're joyful. They're having fun. And so you're exactly right. And man, okay. Now you just brought up one of my favorite topics in the whole world. And that is Mrs. Right. And you are spot on. I, let me tell you something. I am an infinitely better man with Mrs. Wright. There was no settling down. Instead, right. there was this absolute, oh, okay, the launch pad has been created now. Boom. And because it, it was it post post Jimlin Wright was the Jason Wright show was my my first book ever of fiction and just contentment, wow. the likes of which I've never known before. And and she herself, and here's another thing to you guys that not to beat up on guys, but if you're worried about an independent woman, I mean, she is a successful entrepreneur. She's a badass. And the thing I love most about Jimlin is she did not need me. She was doing just fine before I ever rolled into town. She truly wants me. And it's the same thing. I had put myself in that position. I didn't need anybody. I didn't want anybody. But the two of us together are infinitely better. Life is richer, fuller, more full of joy. And so I, God, I love that, man. I'm glad you're writing a book on that. That's, 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 that's money. Yeah. And, and one of the, the things that really inspired me to write it is the topic of independence. Like, I think it's exactly what you described. Like, I think partnership, of course, the cliche, you should both be independent. You should both have your own interests, but like independence as a reflection of the health of the relationship, there's something called the dependency paradox in upbringing and adolescence that describes this perfectly. It's basically the idea that as a, as you're raising a child, talking about a toddler here, the more, uh, the closer they feel with you, that they know that you've got their back, that you love them, that they su you support them, the more independent they feel they can be. They know that they could take that step, fall on their face, and you'll be there for them. Not, not codependence, but dependency, knowing that you've got them and they've got you in a sense that it encourages them to be more independent. I fast forward that to an adult mature relationship. And I think one of the greatest measures of compatibility is your empowerment to be independent because it means that you could be independent and for one, not sit superficial and be like, well, isn't that weird that, you know, she doesn't want to invite me to her thing. No, it's a reflection that she feels that the relationship is so compatible and that you're, you're so in love with each other that, you know, you're, you're there for each other and you're encouraged to be independent. I think it's a great measure to look at that way. So that was kind of one of the ideas that originally gave me to, to write this whole book on. And uh, it's kind of, you know, an idea of a relationship giving you more life, not less in the form of settling down. 
I think you think about if you spend any time on social media, you're just beat over the head with oh. the grim reality of dating. It's like, why, why would you possibly date when everyone is telling you that everyone is this or everyone is that, or your own experiences are bad and you're extrapolating them into what's possible. Like, I really do think we owe ourselves a reset of the kind of love that exists, which is more, and that is available to us with patience. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of delusionally optimistic a lot of the time, but I think, you know, proof points uh, here and there and using mindfulness to really regauge that I think is, uh, is powerful, especially independence as a topic. Could not agree more. And just kind of just along these lines real quick before I, I want to talk about your, uh, the, the, uh, your latest book, which is that's the, that's bold of you, right? That's your most recent. Okay. I want to yes. talk about that. Yes. But before we get there, I just want to say that the topics that we're, we're kind of bouncing around here that, man, I don't know, Case, I wish that more people understood just how powerful and life-changing it can be if we take control of this mechanism that is our brain and is our mind and is our consciousness. And I mean, we, we'll, we'll, we take care of our cars better than we take care of ourselves a lot. And, and then, and also, we know we've we've kind of for years i think this is changing a bit for years we've taken physical health as a is kind of in isolation and almost as a vanity pursuit to look good for the gram or to just be you know thin or whatever but just tying it all together this is one of the things i'm just obsessed with these days it's why i've got i teach my courses the vitruvian project all these things i do is because it's like i've become obsessed with optimizing my total being because i think if i'm the best version of myself my my hope is that as a as a thank you and as a respect for you i mean case you coming on the show today i'm hoping that the best version of jason Wright that's ever existed is the one that you're getting to interact with right now that's the hope and if you came back tomorrow it would be even better and when people understand the power of thinking for yourself being honest with yourself and then then taking control of the of the levers i think that uh, it's just so it's just so cool so i mean if you want to touch on any of that just kind of as a general you know thirty thousand foot view of just god people please just just take it put your toe in the water of understanding the power you actually have over your own life of being an architect of your life versus a consumer of life it can just be so powerful but then so if you want to touch on that cool um yeah and then i want to talk about your book yeah i mean i, I always try to find incentives right because the whole thing is like we we're incentivized to take care of our our bodies in a sense and we're acutely aware of the impact that health can have on our general life but for some reason we don't take the time for our inner life like yes if if we're suffering from you know something very acute like depression maybe we'll go to therapy or maybe we'll try to be prescribed something who knows um, but for the most part you know we don't address the maybe unsettledness we feel or the lack of fulfillment we feel and we just throw it up as as normal which it is normal of course um but you know i, I think we're just we're we're very uh, i call it the gray of life which is this kind of just ambiguous zone where we're just kind of waiting for other people to show us what's up and again yeah. we're not bad people for doing this it's just kind of the, the way that we've 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 evolved the gray of life is where we're just accepting what is um there's a lot of theory around mimetic theory and mimetic desire like we're just doing the things that we've kind of been conditioned to do because we see other people very few things in life are solely representative of of our true desires and we're just not taking time to to challenge that. So I think we'd really, really surprise ourselves when we are willing and incentivized to sit in discomfort. I mean, I, I used to really define myself by who I was as a salesperson. I am Case Kenny salesperson. I make money. I do this. I do that. It's it's who I am. Now I 
for a living. I, I say I share my feelings for a living. What a 180. I mean, what a complete 180. And the only way I got to this point, and I, and I still don't know completely what I'm doing, but is a willingness to reinvent, a willingness to start over, a willingness to see you know evolutions and reinvention as a good thing, not a reflection of failure or a reflection of starting at zero. Because again, that that's why we're afraid to address these topics a lot of times is because we see starting over as zero, as failure, as blame, as guilt, all these negative feelings. And it's, yeah, no wonder we're not incentivized to, to try. So yeah, I mean, I, I think we need to give ourselves more credit for our ability to reinvent. And I think it's always a win. If you could sit down and say, I used to think this, but now I think this, that is a win because this shows progression. It shows that you challenged yourself. If you've held the same beliefs your entire life, um, Perhaps that's accurate, uh, but I would say you know you haven't challenged them correctly. You know the un unexamined life, like what is what is that offering you exactly? So I, you know, I respect anyone who is ever willing to admit that they were wrong, um, willing to start over, willing to do a one eighty. I think that is such a a W and not an L, as a lot of people might might think. And I think just maybe that reframing can help again incentivize action through mindfulness. Love it, love it. All right, that's bold of you. Well, I have not read it yet. I'm gonna I'm gonna order it today. I haven't had a chance since I heard John James to because that's the first time I heard of the book. I can't wait to grab it. So tell me what inspired it and what what are we gonna get? Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, honestly, it's a lot of what we're talking about here. Um, it's a lot of how to reinvent ourselves in the face of what we've been told and who we've been told to be and what we've assumed we're capable of. Really, the the catalyst for that book was the idea of the beautiful mess effect that we we applaud certain characteristics in other people, namely the vulnerable ones, the honest ones, but in ourselves we don't. So it's really just it's it's a book, an exploration into you know why did, like uh, one of the phrases that really uh, kicked off the idea of that book was people who think they're too much. Um, I'm not talking about the type of too much that is too much, the too loud, too boisterous, too annoying type too much. I'm talking about people who told they're too much or they're too difficult or they're too this or too that because they stood up for themselves or they disagreed with someone else or they have a different priority. No longer believing those things at face value. And I think it's a bold thing to challenge that, to challenge what you've been told. Oh, Case, be realistic. What are you really going to quit your, your high paying sales job to go share your feelings on the internet? Be realistic. Or girl, you're, you're too much. Like your standards are too high. Who do you think you are? You think you're a 10? Like those kinds of statements, whether they're, they're said in such hyperbole or not, I think are the ones that we've been living. And I think it's a bold thing to allow yourself to reinvent yourself in the face of them, in the face of your upbringing, what you've been told. I talk a lot in the book about how we've been conditioned to respond to certain pieces of friction in life. Um, so it's basically just a very uplifting look at how we're capable of reinventing whether we're 25, 35, 45, wherever we are in life. Dude, I, I can't wait to, to read it because it, you just, so I, I actually wrote a, uh, an article here recently about one time it's like my junior year in high school and I'm running the football and I'm, I'm close to scoring a touchdown. Dude, it was a 40, 40 yard run. I mean, it was, it, was, it was sweet. And I was a tight end. It was just a reverse play. It, it was it was sweet. It was our, our money play. So I was really fast. And uh, for, especially for a white dude, man, I could move. And all of a sudden, I'm like going down the field. And I refuse to look back because I had been told my whole life, you just look ahead, like in baseball, football, didn't matter. you look ahead, you don't look back, you keep running. And as a result, I got sucked up at, at the four yard line. Mm -hmm. All I would have had to done was taken one look back to see this guy about to tackle me, taking a step, probably yeah. would have scored. Yeah. 
And I have used that as an example of there's so many things that we have conditioned in our brains to be truth that if we would just challenge them, and, and I'm a I'm an uber, uber, this will surprise some people, but I'm an uber humble guy. I always assume if you if you're so I, I respect authority. I don't color outside the lines normally, which I know that sounds really weird to a lot of people that know me, but I just I I do trust the experts. And as a result, I think I go too far with that. I have this narrative in my mind, or I had for years, that now you can't do that. You're, you only do this, 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 this. Anything outside that, you're getting a little too arrogant. You're getting a little too full of yourself. And yet, it's funny because one of the things that you mentioned there, we tend to, like the people that we say, oh, you're too much or too much, that's generally somebody saying, if I were you, that's how I would think yes. of myself. Yes. It's if if I tell you know Case, you can't do that. It's really not. I don't believe Case Kenny can't do it. It's like I can't do that, so I'm going to thrust that on you, right? Yes. So. yes, we project, and I think the key, of course, is coming back to how I think of mindfulness. I think there's multiple kinds of mindfulness. There's like a, a spiritual, ethereal, chakras, energy, vibrations mindfulness, which is great, works for some people. In reference to looking back. I think a the, the most powerful aspect of the mindfulness that I gravitate towards is mindfulness that's defined by observation. We have a memory bank filled with all these powerful things and how we make sense of them, whether we use them to challenge what we know or to reinforce the boundaries or standards or pride that we have in ourselves, that is what mindfulness gives us. And we have to look back sometimes to do that. We have to look through our memories and say, I've done this, or I have this experience, which is why I have this standard and I will not negotiate it. That is the power of mindfulness, basically observations, going through our memory banks and coming up with redeeming conclusions or challenging conclusions based on it. So I think it's always powerful to look forward, to stay in the present, but to also look back and find proof points or find catalyst points. And that is that is the, the, the purpose of mindfulness as I see it in a practical way. Well, one of the things that I'm about to do, I just ordered, and it wasn't very expensive, um, Jordan Peterson has a yeah, personal story type uh, deal where essentially you go through all this stuff. You 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 do. I'm sure just knowing his clinical work, it's probably. And I keep mentioning Carl Jung, but I know that's he has a lot. Of, he uses a lot of method methodologies in his clinical practice, and so I'm excited to go through that because I think what you've touched on through this whole thing with the with leveraging mindfulness is that you've got us. We all have a story, and but the cool thing is, man, that I hope people understand and take away from this conversation is you get to be the author yes there are very big bold characters you know biff was a character in freaking back to the future that was not pleasant and and marty mcfly didn't really enjoy but ultimately marty got back home and you know from 1955 we are all in this story and you you do you get to hold the pen more often than not I think that's what most people don't realize. So I just, I hope that's one of the main takeaways from this conversation, dude. Yeah, me too. I love that. I mean, I'm a, I'm an optimist and it's, we don't always get to hold the pen in the present um, and we can try our best, but we always get to hold it looking back. And I think looking back to then look forward is how you reinvigorate yourself. So either way you look at it, you know, you could use the lens of mindfulness of, you know, uh, you know, why backed, affirm affirmations of your life to move forward and either way you look at it you're always in control of that and that always you know fills me with hope 
case, man, dude, I'm, I'm so glad that I asked. I, I didn't, you know, I felt kind of special that you said yes to come on my show, but you know, but, but I'm, what I've learned from this though, is that since you say yes, then I'm hoping and praying that you will come back, man. I want to, I want to continue these conversations. I love what you're doing. Uh, tell people where they can find you, where the best place to consume your content, where should they go? Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. I, would, I don't want to diminish the yes. So, I mean, I will say when you did reach out, I looked at your stuff and I was like, this is awesome. I would love to have a conversation. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there, there was an element of, yes, this, this is a good fit for me. So thank I appreciate you. that a lot. Um, and yeah, thanks for listening to that episode. Uh, but yeah, I mean, everything for me is pretty simple. Case.Kenny on Instagram, newmindsetwhodis.com for my books and journals. And the podcast is New Mindset Who Dis on every platform. And I just want to throw you one more compliment, dude. I know that some of my favorite episodes are the ones where I do is kind of like self-therapy, but I'm always like, God, but it's just me. I need to have a really cool guest like Case Kenny to make a good episode. Sure. But your your episodes, man, you, you're you're bold enough to be, it's you, they're bite-sized. I mean, 16 to 20 minutes, dude. And I got to tell you, it's, and maybe it just resonates with me. I think I, I, I can tell that um, you and I have a, a very, we're very, very like-minded on a lot of things. So maybe that's it. I don't know. But to the listener out there, I can't, more encourage you and you guys know that i'm a i don't listen to many podcasts at all i'm very but um new mindset who dis i have enjoyed thoroughly every episode and um i think you will too so so check out what case is doing absolutely brother you're welcome Thank back you. anytime and uh appreciate that and it. again this just goes to show you james Alter's podcast it's awesome too because that's that's why i know about you man so good job james right on yep absolutely <laughs> All right, brother. Well, I'm going to hit uh, stop and say goodbye offline. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. It means more to me than you can possibly imagine. And if you enjoyed it, please consider going out to Apple and leaving us a five-star rating. That would mean the world to me. Also, follow me on Insta at Jason right now. And don't forget, download the Vitruvian Lab app. I mean it. I want to be your personal peak performance trainer. I want to help you improve always and always. Lastly, check out my newsletter, The Vitruvian Letter. You can subscribe at jasonrightnow.com. And until we meet again, please continue to endeavor to improve always in always. I'm out. <laughs>